Welcome to episode 63 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. And this week we'll be covering true crime and paranormal stories from the state of Massachusetts. I have the true crime this week. And I have the paranormal and the drink. The booze and the booze. Boo. Okay. (laughs) Hi. Oh yeah. And Alex is here. I was going to say, I mean... (laughs) Our guest tonight is Alex again. Welcome. Hi. What you, what do we got there, Bettina? We have the Boston cocktail. Okay. How much more Massachusetts can you get? <laughs> this is made with gin, and I know you're not a big fan of gin, no. but um, <laughs> let's try let's try when, it anyway. Have I been a when has he been a fan of drinks you've made? Yeah, I don't. I think we're over the century right now. Cheers. It kind of tastes like candy. It does. (laughs) And, you know, it's a nice candy color, too. It's pretty pink. (laughs) I thought you said we weren't going to do any citrus at all. I lied. Yep. (laughs) Not bad. This is one of the better ones that you've. It actually, it it does kind of taste like candy, doesn't Mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. Okay. We have to be really honest here for our listeners. So um, we can taste it, but we can't. But we can't taste it. Because both Alex and I had COVID, and both of us had the same symptoms, and they're still lingering. And we made it no through. Smell. Oh and yes, we made it through. We're healthy, but uh, we still have <laughs> <laughs> we still have no sense of smell or taste. Mm-hmm. So. so this tastes great. I mean, <laughs> it you know tastes like pink. No, I I get a little sense of sweetness. Yeah, I think if I because we wow. the only. <laughs> The only thing we can taste is salty and sweet. Okay, so the ingredients is one and a half ounces of uh, dry gin, and that's sapphire gin. Sapphire gin, is that just a typo? That's a blue bottle, Mm -hmm. you know. Okay. Um, That's my favorite gin, but anyway. Then one and a half ounces of apricot brandy, which I've never had before, so Mm. maybe that's the, well, no, the sweet is the fourth ounce of grenadine. That's the sweet that's in there. And then only one tablespoon lemon juice. Right. Well. Get all the ingredients, pour it into a shaker with ice, and shake it up. I also chilled the cocktail glasses in the freezer for a while. I was going to say, this is super cold, and I appreciate that. And I then strained it into the glass. I mean, I got to rate it, right? I guess that's kind of been the thing lately. Have I rated everything Uh so far? (laughs) It's not going to lose points. I can't really have it lose any points because I know you're saying it's strong, but I don't know. I I can't really taste it. So I'm going to rate this one higher. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm just going to assume it's better than what I've had. So I'm going to give this a 6.8 out of 10. Whoa. We're moving up there. Yep. Um, I'll probably end up finishing this one too. Oh, Mm -hmm. good. Thanks again for having me on here. It's always a delight. What is this? Six? Five times, six times, five? Six times five. What is that? 30. Nice. Good job. I used my fingers. No, you didn't. You actually came up with that very quickly. I'm staying out of this. Well. Thanks, Alex. Well, that was a great description of a drink from you COVID heads. Wow. 
Hey, still made the drink and it's pretty. So why don't you hang ovaries? Mom made a good point, though. That does sound like you guys all have ovaries. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you all make this cocktail and let us know what it tasted like? The Boston cocktail. That's what it's called. Cocktail. We'll post the recipe like we always do on our Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. (laughs) And you tell us how it tastes. Yes. We'll do a little flip-flop Beth there. can't taste it, and... <laughs> I smelt it. It didn't smell very strong or sweet. I didn't... I smelt gin, mm. but not like... You're not a fan of gin, so that's probably why you picked that up. Mm-mm, yeah. And I'm not usually a fan of grenadine drinks either. Oh. Because it has that cherry. Because that's cherry, right? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. It's red, it looks like. Okay, moving on. Let's talk about something we actually know about. The research that we did on these stories. Let's do. I have to give fair warning. This story is absolutely terrifying. Oh. So just be prepared. I'm just going to drink. I would say enjoy, but I don't know if you (laughs) really will. Okay. Our story takes place in 1986 in Townsend, Massachusetts. And our story begins with the Andrews family. Annie, Jessica, and their father, Brian. Now, the girls' ages were listed in some resources as, like, different ages, and then they weren't listed in other resources. But from what I gathered, Annie is around 15, and Jessica is around 8. Oh, okay. Now, it's terribly sad, but the girl's mother had passed away earlier that year from cancer. Mm. And Brian, the father, he's kind of thrown into this single-parenting with his two girls overnight. He works long hours to provide for his daughters, but the long hours means that sometimes the girls are left alone in the evenings while he works late. That's kind of hard for the 15-year-old or 15-year-old because she's kind of has to take the place of the mother. Yeah, and then just think of those, just those formative years that 15, like just all those things that you're going through as a teenager. And the last thing you want to do is stay home and... And you just don't, and you don't have that mom to turn to. Right. Now, losing a mom, I don't even want to think about, but like I said, losing their mother at such formative ages, 15, early teenagers, it's just really sad to think about. And the girls were really struggling with the loss of their mother. And they would have given anything to talk to their mom one last time. Hmm. So the girls get a Ouija board. Oh, no. One night when their father was away at work. Wait, don't I have the paranormal? (laughs) Well, this is how the story starts. Because they knew their dad would never approve of a Ouija board or seances or anything Mm -hmm. like that. They do it on a night he's working late. The girls grab their mother's things candles and a Ouija board and they head down to the basement oh my gosh I mean I know you're not for Ouija boards but this is just really sad that they're trying to communicate with their mom in any way that they can I mean we learned it's a talking board and they're just trying to talk to their mom right it is sad but I don't (laughs) I'm scared to know how this goes well I warned you it was terrifying So after a while of trying to communicate with their mother, nothing comes through. The girls aren't getting anything. They decided to pick up before their dad gets home and they head back upstairs. That night as the girls lay in bed, they start to hear a soft tapping on the walls of their room. They lay there, totally terrified for a moment, but then they get excited. They had just done that Ouija board. Maybe this was their mother coming through. Mm. Maybe just maybe it worked. So they start asking yes 
or no questions. One knock meaning yes, two knocks meaning Mm -hmm. no. And the girls start communicating with this spirit, which they truly believe is their mother. Again, knowing their father would never approve of the Ouija board or even believe the knocking happening on the walls to keep this chatting with their mom a secret. Over time, though, the knocking starts to intensify. Oh. Loud banging would fill the home when their father was away at work. Only when the father was away. And they started to notice items and furniture in the home moving over time. So say they're in the living room and they leave the living room and they come back to the living room and the couch had moved. Oh, my God. Oh, it must have really moved in order for them to notice it. Right. Or they're in a room, they walk out of the room, they come back to the room, and a picture is moved. Oh, my gosh. The girls start to get scared. Uh-huh. And they start to believe that they're no longer talking with their deceased mother, but they're starting to believe that they possibly summoned a demon. One night, after being home alone while their dad was at work, more loud bangings happen, and they finally tell their father who actually grew very angry with his daughters. Mm -hmm. Ghosts aren't real. Their house is not haunted. And he believed that this was their grief setting in. And he threatened them that if they don't calm down and change their tune, he's going to send them to a counselor. So these things are happening in the home. The girls are starting to get terrified. And they feel like they have no one to turn to. They have no one that's going to believe them. But you can't kind of blame the dad either even though he sounds like a hard ass but you can't really right and i don't know these girls personalities leading up to this they could be total but none of this is happening when he's there right so you can't really blame him because he's not and this is coming out of the blue their mother had just died and it's just like yeah it's a weird situation for him too i'm working these late hours i'm already stressed i'm already telling you there's knocking in the walls like come on so One night while the girls are home alone, more loud bangs and knocking start to occur. And they seem to be coming from the basement. So Annie, being a seriously brave soul. No kidding. Grabs a kitchen knife and she and her sister head down to the basement. Oh man, I would never. Holy smokes, she's brave. They slowly creep down the basement stairs, turn on the lights, and are terrified when they see written on the wall in blood, I am in your room. Come find me. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. The girls take off, run out of the house, and go to the neighbor's house, calling their father and telling him about what happened. Brian comes home, pissed. He doesn't believe it's a ghost. He really believes that this is his daughter's acting out. And after further inspection of the message on the wall, which he finds is actually written in catch-up, he's even more infuriated with his daughter's. He thinks now that they've done this. He keeps his threat and starts sending them to counseling for grief over their mother's death, which I don't know why that was a threat. He probably should have been doing that in the first case. I was going to say, that's not such a bad idea. Right. So, but that's either here or there. A few weeks pass. The girls are in counseling. There are no more quote unquote hauntings. But just as things start to look like they're heading back to normal, The girls hear some knocking and tapping coming from upstairs one night when their dad is away at work. Mm -hmm. The girls creep upstairs, open the door to Annie's room, and there on the wall, written in the same red as before, says, I'm back. Come find me. Oh, my gosh. The girls, again, sprint out of the house, go to a neighbor's, and again, call their father. Now, dad is really angry. He begrudgingly comes home. When he pulls up to his house, though, he hears the TV 
from outside. He knows his daughters would never leave the TV on that loud. He enters the house, and the house looks like it had been ransacked. He goes upstairs to Annie's room, because that's where... But the girls are still the neighbors. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he goes upstairs to Annie's room because that's where the Mm -hmm. writing was. Mm -hmm. And that's where they said they were. So he goes upstairs to investigate this new writing. And I have to stop here. The story is true. And all of this did happen. But right here in the story is where legend has kind of seeped into the storyline. So the facts are what has happened. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. But details have changed or been added to make it a little scarier from this point forward. It's already so, scary enough. <laughs> okay. So the dad does walk into the daughter's room and written on the wall now, apparently, are the words, marry me. Huh? And as he turns, he sees a tall, thin, scrawny man with a hatchet. <gasps> now, where the legend comes in is that some sources say that the tall, thin, scrawny man had makeup smeared all over his face a blonde wig, and was dressed in the deceased mother's clothing. Oh, God. Oh, I've got chills. And some stories say her wedding dress. But regardless what he was wearing, there is a man standing in his daughter's room with a hatchet. And that's true. This is true. Brian, the fantastic dad that he was, tries to get capture this intruder, but the man runs away. Brian calls the police. They come and search the house and the area, but no intruder is found. They advise the family that maybe it's a good idea you go stay with some relatives for a mm-hmm. while. They stay away for a couple of weeks. But then Brian's like, this is my house. This is my responsibility. This is my family. I need to protect my girls. This is ridiculous. At we're, least he knows now that yeah, they're not making it up. We're going home. Like, this is ridiculous. So the family pulls up to their house, and as they're pulling up, in the front living room window is the silhouette. Oh, no, of the guy? Of a man holding a hatchet. The heck? Like he was waiting on them. Police are called again. They do another search, and the man is not found. But then a very smart policeman sees an odd wooden plank behind the family's washer and dryer. He squats down, moves the dryer, moves the board, and to his horror, discovers 17-year-old Daniel LaPlante hidden in the walls of the home. What? Now, I don't believe he was living there. There wasn't, like, evidence of him living in the walls. Yeah. He was from the area, not far from their home. But he had built tunnels and even little peepholes throughout the walls of the entire home. What? How is that possible? And he was messing and spying on the family for months. Oh, my gosh. There's like candy wrappers and some clothing and yeah. But they found him. They found him. They got him. him. Yes. Now, Annie knew Danny LaPlante. We went to different schools, but she knew him from a few months prior. She had started receiving phone calls from the boy saying that he had gotten her number from a friend because he thought she was cute. The two chatted on the phone for weeks. And eventually, Annie agreed to go on a date with the boy. But when she arrived at the date, he was nothing like the blonde-headed jock he had described himself to be. He was tall and lanky. He had greasy brown hair, and he smelt terrible. He seemed dirty, and his face was potmarked. She was kind and decided to stay for a little while on their date, which did not consist of normal first date conversation. Danny was very socially awkward and really wanted to discuss the loss of Annie's mother. 
asking for such terrible details like how Annie felt when the light left her mother's eyes or how much her mother suffered. Oh my gosh. Annie was there for maybe an hour before she made her escape from the horrible date. And she stopped taking his calls. Mm-hmm. And that's when Daniel Plant started hiding in her family's walls. Okay. Okay. How did he even, I mean, I, I'm thinking of my house. How can I move my dryer and make myself comfortable in my wall? I mean, how does he even do that? Well, there's, there. he's very thin. He's very okay. thin little guy. Are you saying I couldn't fit anyway? No offense, mom. What you're saying? <laughs> but you have drywall beams Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a little bit of a space beams and drywall Mm -hmm. so he was really just fitting his way through there like if we made a hole in my wall mom i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i'm just trying to picture this mom i don't know i'm just but he did for months, he was living in their walls. Man, that policeman. Like even, I want to give him like. He had peepholes like spying on these girls. And I mean, just think how intrusive that is. I mean, even for Brian. Yeah. Like, it's just it's terrifying to me. It's terrifying. It could be somebody in your walls. No, there's nobody in my my. <laughs> Are you kidding? Obi would go nuts yeah, if there was true. anyone in our house. See, another good reason y'all should have dogs. <laughs> Okay, so now I lost my place, Mom. (laughs) Okay, now I explained some how Danny obviously had a hygiene problem and suffered with social cues Mm -hmm. as well. But it gets much worse than that for Danny. At a young age, Danny had been physically, psychologically, and sexually abused by his father. I mean, basically, every resource I read or listened to used the word torture. Oh, my gosh. He had a terrible childhood. So he's facing this abuse at home and not much better from the children at school. Mm -hmm. He is dyslexic and has a really hard time in school. He basically has no safe place. No. Eventually, staff at the school require Danny to visit with a psychiatrist. He's diagnosed with hyperactivity disorder, showing signs of a personality disorder. But like I said, he has no support at home. So cool he's diagnosed he's got a label but there's nothing right to, nobody's gonna do anything about no it support right but then it gets worse if you can believe it Mm-mm. psychiatrist starts to sexually abuse danny what? as well gosh i mean just another person this kid believed he could possibly trust and then was it another man or do mm-hmm. you know oh my god danny lives alone with this shame tons of violence he's an outcast in school he develops this sick fascination with death, obviously, from notably from the conversation he had with Annie. And he also has this huge fascination with mind games. He would break into neighbors' houses and slightly move things around to mess with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, just move a couch an inch or so every day until one day it's facing a totally different direction. Which, to lighten things up, this really reminded me of the Office episode where Jim's listing all the pranks he played on Dwight and one of them yeah. was moving his desk an inch a day closer to the coffee machine or, <laughs> yeah. or putting the nickels in the bottom of the phone. <laughs> so then he removed him one day and Dwight hit himself in the <laughs> face. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, I love the Office. But obviously, Danny's is a little more sinister than that. So would he, like, he 
played these tricks on the neighbors, would he stick around to kind of watch it? Or did he just know he was playing a mind game on them? I'm sure he'd stay around for a little bit, too, to watch it. He just loved playing these mind games on people. And they think that that's actually... He would break into a lot of houses and burglarize. That's close enough. <laughs> them. <laughs> and... And that's how they think that he got Annie's phone number was like in a neighbor's house. Maybe it was listed oh. somewhere or oh. that's how they think because he didn't go to the same school as her. They wouldn't have ever seen each other. So, okay. okay. Or he was casing some neighborhood and he saw her. But um, yeah, he got her number somehow, maybe from a phone book. I mean, how, what a bad idea were phone books. Like, <laughs> think about that for a second. Honey, I grew up with phone books. I know, so. but like, what a bad idea. Your phone number is just like listed. Not only and your then, phone number, your address. Exactly. <laughs> your full name, your address, and your phone number. All right, and just think about that. <laughs> and then this podcast I was listening to, they were talking about how they went to shop at Dick's, and they ask you for your phone number uh-huh. to get your rewards. rewards. Uh-huh. Well, this girl, you know, she does that and she goes home and she gets a text for some guy saying, I heard you give your phone number at Dick's. I heard you give it loud enough. So you wanted me to have it and starts like stalking her. Oh, my God. And I was sitting there listening to this podcast and I'm like, oh, my God, I give my phone number like daily at the grocery store <laughs> for my rewards at Price Chopper. Like, <laughs> I'm not even going to get rewards anymore. That is scary. You can't punch them in. I, I don't have my, I never carry my card with me. So well, I don't either. Like so I, I always punch at Dylan's. You can punch it in. I don't have to give it to anybody. I don't shop at Dylan's. <laughs> oh, all right. Back to the story. Danny's caught. And he's put in juvie for some time. Mm. I'm hoping he's he 17. gets some help, like psychological help while he's there. And in October 1987, he gets released to his mom stepdad so his dad's out of the picture now okay so his mom is stepdad and his brother steven only a few days after being released he's back to his old tricks of burglar burglar stealing stuff on october 14th danny breaks into the pendle home it's about a quarter mile from his family's home and all of these surrounding homes are like in a wooded area i mean just thick thick trees okay they're larger yards so they're mm -hmm. lo larger lots. And like I said, they're just surrounded by trees. Okay. So I think that's kind of how he was getting sneaking around was through all the trees. Mm -hmm. So he breaks into the Pendle home. He steals two 22 caliber Ruger handguns oh, as well as some cash. I'm sure he breaks into other homes after that. But the next one we know about for sure was on November 16th. He breaks into the Gustafson home. This home belongs to Andrew and Priscilla and their two children, Abigail, who's seven, and son William, who's five. From their home, he steals several items, including two cable boxes, a cordless phone, a TV remote. <laughs> I don't get that one at all. A well, TV maybe it remote. was a universal TV remote you could use everywhere. I don't know. <laughs> My TV remote, I just, I, I didn't get that. And a few silver dollar coins. He takes his haul home and asks his brother Stephen to hide one of the cable boxes and the cordless phone in his tool cabinet. Stephen does this for his brother, but turns Danny down when Danny asks him for some bullets. Oh. Unfortunately, a friend, and I can't be certain if this is a co-worker or Danny was going back to school, so I don't know if this was a, a peer, or, okay. but this guy that Danny apparently knew does not turn him down when he asks him for bullets. Interesting fact, but remember, he stole two guns. Right. 
And I guess he left one in his laundry basket or in a pocket that ended up in his laundry basket. And his stepdad finds this gun in the laundry basket and confronts him. He's like, you're not supposed to have this. And so he's like, I'm taking this gun from you. Which just sucks because he had two guns. He had two. Dang it. Now, heads up. This is where it gets dark. Mr. Gustafson from that second house. Mm Mm-hmm. He is a young lawyer, and he closes a really big deal earlier in the day of December 1st. He starts to call his wife Priscilla, who's pregnant, by the way. He starts to call her around 345 to celebrate and ask her to get a babysitter for the night for their two children so they could go out and celebrate. But she doesn't answer, so he calls two more times with no answer. When he arrives home later that day around 530, he arrives to a very quiet home. Priscilla is found in a pool of blood on their bed. Her skin is gray, and she has a pillow over her head. She had been shot twice at point-blank range. Oh, jeez. Now, like I said, Andrew is a small-time lawyer. Priscilla is a nursery school teacher for the local church. These are good people. It's a good area. It's a good family. It's a total mystery as to why this happened. Mm -hmm. When the police arrive, they find an even more gruesome discovery. The two children had both been strangled and drowned in different bathtubs in their home. Oh, my gosh. The daughter, Abigail, seven, had scratches and bruises, showing that the little girl had definitely put up a fight. Upon investigation, police find semen on the bed next to Priscilla. Now, keep in mind, this is 1987. DNA was still not what it is today, so they can't run these samples to find a match. But they did find that the semen on the bedspread was a type A secretor. Okay. Which means that whoever left the semen, it secretes their blood type into the body fluid. So their blood type can be found in like semen, saliva, mucus. Fun fact, this is the indicator that they found from the Golden State Killer as well. Anyway, I thought that was an interesting fact. <laughs> it is. Police find in the closet a brown sock that was used as a gag. There was also different items like a tie and some pantyhose that were used as ligatures. And the bullets used to kill Priscilla were, in fact, from a twenty-two caliber handgun. Now, it's terrible and shows just how mentally disconnected Danny was. But as the police are finding these this terrible discovery, Danny is about 15 minutes away playing with his niece at her birthday party. His niece was around the same age as Abigail. It's just, it's sad, but it's very fascinating to me that someone can just do that. I mean, it's very unsettling. There's no remorse. He just goes right back to normal. Jeez. The next day, police start searching the woods around the Gustafson house and discover a gray flannel shirt with work gloves. And they're all kind of bundled up and thrown together. Mm -hmm. The gloves have gunshot residue on them. The police call dogs out. Those good old dogs Mm -hmm. solving cases while our dogs just (laughs) lay there sleep. (laughs) The dogs lead through the woods and stop just three feet short of Danny LaPlante's door. Oh, my gosh. Besides this, though, there's no real evidence. So they track Danny down to the local library where he's studying for school. They kind of like do like a, I don't know what you call it, like a soft questioning. Mm-hmm. Like there's no evidence. And then they just go on their way. Well, they don't have anything exactly. on Exactly. That night they come to the LaPlante's house to question him again. Mm-hmm. While chatting with Danny out on the front porch, Danny leaps off the porch and makes a run for it. 
a manhunt ensues with a helicopter, more doggies, and lots of state officers. So the plant, the the little plants house is on a pretty large bit of property. It's nighttime. There's lots of woods, like I said. Mm-hmm. He knows the area. He grew up in the area, and they could not find him. Officers question the family, and Stephen, the brother, is like. Yeah, he asked me to hold those things for him. Here they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are my brother's clothes that you found in the woods. I mean, his whole family was very cooperative. Mm -hmm. I mean, even into trial. And I think it's because they probably knew as hard as it was, but I think they probably knew he needed to be locked away. There was nothing that could be done. Police search the house. They have the items from the Pendle home that were stolen from the Pendle home. And stuff from the Gustafson. So the bullets match the Ruger that was stolen from the Pendle home. I mean, the case is just unfolding itself easily to the police. But Danny is still on the run. He makes it to a nearby town and breaks into a woman's house. And with a gun, another gun. I don't know where he got it, but he has this third gun. A different gun? Yes. He forces her to drive him to the next town. Now, what I found funny, if this is funny, I'm sorry, but... The car that she drove was a bright orange Volkswagen van. <laughs> like how you miss that. Not right? flashy at all. <laughs> but as she's driving, she sees a police officer and she drum- She jumps out of the moving van. Uh, while she's driving or is he driving? She's driving. <laughs> it's a bright orange van. She sees a police officer. And she jumps out. I mean. Good for her. I think if I saw that opportunity, too, I'd be just like, like I'm going to do I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Danny gets control of the van, and he goes on without her. And a few hours later, Danny LaPlante is discovered hiding in a dumpster at a lumber yard. Oh, good. He went willingly, claiming he had no weapons on him. But at the station during the strip search, they discover a new gun hidden in his underwear and bullets in his sock. It was a three-week trial. He, of course, pled not guilty. Throughout the entire trial, he never showed any remorse. I mean, absolutely no emotion. He just sat there totally cold-faced. I mean, just nothing. Just a stone. Sociopath. His attorney argued that it was all circumstantial evidence. There was no witnesses. But police really did a really good job in this case. Sounds like it, yeah. For the time that it was in the DNA world, Mm -hmm. you know, they Mm -hmm. really did a good job. And they found some very damning evidence. And then there was a man named Brocklebank. And I wanted to tell his story because I love that name, Brocklebank. I think that is such you a fun. You just want to save it, what say a it a fun, few times. Say it. It's a fun name, Brocklebank. Brocklebank. He's an inmate at another prison. He has nothing to do with this story at all. He's in a totally <laughs> other state. But I really wanted to say his name. No, there is there is some ties here. So, But he is. He is at another state. Okay. okay. He didn't know Danny, but he's working this scheme of writing to other prisoners and seeing if they would confess so as a, he's a prisoner himself and he writes to other prisoners and he sees if they're going to confess to him because then he uses that to his advantage <laughs> to, to lessen his, his sentence. sentence oh god and he's he pulled it at a few different places so he just like randomly i guess chooses danny to do this too Brocklebank is banking Brocklebank <laughs> his banking his his so, confessions danny writes him back and forth a, a few times and like a quote from one of the letters was, they have no gun yet and will never find it. I was alone. So he's like, has this confidence about himself. Mm-hmm. And then another one said, quote, I'm worried after killing three people and more charges from before, unquote. Mm-hmm. So that basically giving it away. So Brocklebank turns over these letters to the police. 
and the police make him an agent. Oh. To continue writing to Danny. Secret agent, man. Brucklebank is an agent. <laughs> but in court becomes this big thing because it gets thrown out, basically, because Danny didn't know that Brucklebank was an agent. So everything that was written can't be used in court. Right. But only the later letters, the earlier letters, they were still able to use. Oh. So it was pretty interesting. So before evidence. he became an agent, they could use those. Exactly. Okay. So, I mean. Because that's like just two dudes writing each other, right. basically. So I know that's not like a huge thing in the case, but I thought that was very interesting. Like, what a scheme to pull. I wonder if more prisoners do that. <laughs> we don't know about it. And their names aren't Brocklebank, so. <laughs> so eventually the gun used in the murder was discovered in an abandoned Jeep on the LaPlante's property. This, of course, was another argument by Danny's lawyer. The police had a warrant for the LaPlante's residence, not their not land. The property. Oh, jeez. But this argument, too, was denied, and the gun was accepted as evidence Good. into court. The jury deliberated for two days, and Danny LaPlante was found guilty, receiving three consecutive life sentences without parole. Yeah. The judge basically said that most people thought that Danny should go through the same pain and death as the Gustafsons went through mm -hmm. with pain and ligatures and hangings and such. I mean, she, he was, oh, he's terrible. But there's no death penalty in Massachusetts. No. So. Oh. Now, Danny is in prison, and I have some fun facts on him that I'd like to share with you all. In 2004, Danny claimed that they denied access to the prison's law library after being placed in solitary for his own safety. Oh. So he's placed in solitary for his own safety, and then he's like, I'm going to take you to court because I want to go to the law, law library. <laughs> then he also complained in 2004 that they took away his rights because they took all of his porn away. <laughs> God, and he claimed it. that that violated his First Amendment rights. He actually earned $450 compensation for this, and his attorneys earned $100,000 in fees. Oh, my gosh. Don't mess with a man's porn. <laughs> Then in 2013, he went to court again, stating that the prison denied him his desire to practice his chosen religion of Wicca while in prison. He claimed that they denied him colored pens, <laughs> dragon blood, and a carrot cake. <laughs> because apparently because all those things are needed for Wicca. <laughs> I've never heard of carrot cake. The cake was apparently needed to, quote, excite the senses. <laughs> Unquote. <laughs> the cake needed to be carrot or, quote, wolf ice, <laughs> as the Wiccans apparently called it. I'm so sorry. I don't know if this is real or not. I Googled the crud out of this and did not find cake as a ritual. <laughs> I found that. OK, listeners, she's sitting here with a total straight face <laughs> because she really did research this i i'm did. laughing so hard i'm crying oh it gets here. it gets better but i did research and i did find that there's a ritual there is a ritual known as cakes and ale it's celebrated <laughs> by some wiccan covens it's thanking the gods for their blessings but the cakes are usually not cakes at all <laughs> they're usually crescent shaped like cookies almost uh-huh and, you know, they're thanking the gods for their blessings. But okay. he supposedly needed carrot cake. <laughs> Full oh, cake. Oh, hold on. It gets better. He claimed that it needed to be carrot cake in January, but that it needed to be chocolate cake in February. <laughs> what is this? The cake of the month club? 
I'm joining this religion now. <laughs> and again, I am so, so sorry. If this is a real thing, please correct me. But I looked everywhere for this. And in my research, the the Wiccans even said, like, we don't claim him. Like, this is not <laughs> this is not a thing. We don't claim him. <laughs> so then no, no. a little more serious but okay okay in 2019 laplant's attorney went for an appeal citing that his client's current sentence had a conflict with a new law that the state had adopted in 2014 claiming basically i'll dumb it down here because i didn't Please. i had to dumb it down for myself in my research but basically he was a juvenile he was only a few weeks away from turning 18 but he was a juvenile okay and the new law stated that if you were a juvenile and you go to court and all this, the longest term could only be 30 years. Oh, crap. Even with murder. And then you have parole. Even with three murders? So basically, to sum it up, he wanted a resentencing. And so that would just be 30 parole, 30 parole, 30 parole. Oh. So instead of three life sentences, he'd be 30 years per does that make sense? Yeah. The ruling went through. He would only have to serve 15 years per life sentence before he could see, receive parole. So altogether, he would have to serve 45 years and then he would be offered parole. That's what the new <sighs> case said. But I mean, like, think of the, the terrible things that this guy did. So he was 17, but he was months away from 18 when he committed these murders. I mean, he's totally sick in so many other ways. Mm -hmm, Breaking into people. Mm -hmm. There's a, you know, there's a rap sheet. There's mm -hmm. a lot going on there. So even at parole, I don't see him getting parole. Like, I don't see him getting out. This guy is a true sociopath. I mean, no matter what his background is, he, they've made him a sociopath. So during the appeal, he did stand and make this huge speech about how remorseful he was and how terrible his actions were. But in the same case... A therapist also went on the stand and said that he did not believe Danny was prepared for society. So even if he is remorseful, that's all good and well. There's no way he's going to survive in society. He is totally dangerous. And the therapist said that, that there's no way this Danny will never be rehabilitated. Wow. He's had years to practice that speech, though, you know. Like, of course. And uh, yeah. He knew what he had to say. So... Let's just hope that no one ever falls for it. So he was obviously denied parole then. So he'll be up for parole in, I think, like 2032. I think he's going to be like 67 years old. But again, that's not meaning he's getting out. That's just saying mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they're going to reopen everything and see if he's ready to go back into society. So that is the story of Danny LaPlante. Like, wow. The kid in the walls. That was really good. Really interesting. Thank you. Jeez Louise, I'm so happy nothing happened to those little girls and their dad, Brian. I know, I wish the same for the other family. Though. I know. Yeah, they were lucky. No, they were. They were lucky he didn't have, well, he had a dang hatchet. hatchet. Mm -hmm. Oh God, that would have been horrible. Oh, the whole thing is so scary to me. Wow, because you never know. You no. just don't know. No, like the story I mentioned about the guy at Dick's started texting that woman thinking that yeah. she said her number loud so that he would get it like she turned him down like what if he would have gotten her address like just you just never know yeah Ooh. all right mom i think it's time for you to lighten some things up well i don't know if i'll lighten things up but i definitely have an interesting story all right 
I'm no. ready. Lighten it up from here. I can only lighten it up from here. Yeah, Jeez. that's true. Okay, so this is something kind of that we've covered before, but not. Hmm. So this is called <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the Bridgewater Triangle. Have you ever heard of it? Oh, we have to draw a map. We've covered the Bermuda Triangle, where you had us draw a triangle along with a hot dog-shaped island that kept changing sizes. That was such a fun activity. <laughs> This week, I'm going to cover the Bridgewater Triangle in Massachusetts, and you don't have to take your pens and paper out for this one. Okay, thank you. I'll have it posted on our website. Plus, I'm not sure how familiar everybody is with the town names that the, that are in the triangle, so you couldn't probably even draw <laughs> the triangle. But this triangle is inspired by the Bermuda Triangle. Cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman. Now... Do you know what a cryptozoologist is? Do they study cryptids? <laughs> what are cryptids? Like Bigfoot. <laughs> yes! Good job, sweetheart. <laughs> okay. There are people who study animals whose existence or survival are disputed or unsubstantiated. A cryptid. So just like, Bigfoot. I am so proud of you. <laughs> what an odd thing. Want to get some chocolate cake? <laughs> Carrot cake. Okay. No, it's now... April, so... <laughs> well, we can make our own cake up then. <laughs> All right, so this Lauren Col Coleman wrote the book Mysterious America in 1983, where he established the boundaries of the triangle. And for those that are familiar with Massachusetts, this will make a lot more sense. <laughs> and if I do not say these names right, I apologize ahead of time. Apologize to Katie, because she's the one who gets on us for not pronouncing oh. things. Oh, wait, that's just me. This is true. Capote. Anyway. Go on. Coleman established Rehoboth in the Southwest. That has to be wrong. R E H O B O T H. Rehoboth. Okay. In the Southwest. Your guess is as good as mine. I'm so sorry. Abracadabra. <laughs> Abington in the north and Freetown in the southeast as the three points of the triangle. This area covers about 200 square miles. Oh, okay. Which means that hundreds of thousands of people live within the triangle. Okay, so it's covering land. Oh, yes. Cities such as Taunton, Berkeley. Taunton. That's where my story just took place. It's in the triangle. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Berkeley, Easton, Norton, Mansfield. These are just towns that are within this area. Just some of them. The ones I could pronounce. <laughs> But present-day investigators say that these boundaries are not exact, even pointing to Fall River, Lizzie Borden's oh. hometown, and Cape Cod as being under the Triangle's influence. Ooh. There's activity throughout the Triangle area. One story, and this has been reported by many different people, goes like this. <laughs> if you're traveling on Route 44 at night, don't be surprised to see a man on the side of the road hitchhiking. His description is always the same. He has thick curly red hair and a thick red beard. He wears a red flannel shirt, jeans, and work boots. The driver will stop and pick the man up because it's late at night. People want to give people a ride. You're nice people. I'm not nice. He usually slides into the back seat without a word and just stares at the driver mm -hmm. who will naturally try to strike up a conversation. Like, where do you want to go? When the driver looks back, the man is gone, and then laughter is heard from nowhere. 
Mm-mm. Some say they never even pull over to let the man in. He just appears in the back seat. That would be scary. Others, this is even scarier. Oh, no. Others have reported that they were traveling with a companion, and when they turn to look at the companion next to them, like they're chatting, they take on the image of this red-haired guy. They saw the red-headed man just for a second, and then their companion would be there. How creepy is that? I'm just picturing like a really creepy-looking Ronald McDonald sitting next to me. <laughs> now Ronald McDonald doesn't have a beard. Okay, but just he think, is creepy-looking. Just though, think too. of lumberjack kind of guy. Anyway. There's another story. This takes place on Belmont Road, where at night, of course, you're driving and all of a sudden a man will jump in front of the car (gasps) far too suddenly for you to stop. But instead of hitting anyone or feeling a bump in the road, (laughs) speed bump, you feel a rush of cold wind in the car as you drive through the man. Well, that's just ridiculous. That's terribly scary. (laughs) Wouldn't it be? Now, as strange as these stories sound, this next one is really scary. So these are all on roads in the triangle. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Well, there's like a bajillion roads in the triangle. Well, 44 is one that I named. And then I named this other one too, Belmont. So now strange. Okay. So, and this has been reported too. And this one freaks me out. You're driving on the road at night and all of a sudden there are headlights from a pickup truck right behind you. Large, large. Very closely. It's... Marge Marge drove a truck, not a pickup truck. Oh, a pickup truck. It is said that if the driver doesn't speed up to lose the pickup or pull over, the pickup will actually try to run the car off the road. This is like a Griswold situation. And then it disappears. That's really scary, too. I mean, can you imagine these headlights from a pickup? So they're going to be, you know, higher up and they're probably bright and they're just shining in on you and this car is getting closer and closer and closer and is just tailing you no that would be so scary to me there are reports of ufos the first ufo sighting goes back to 1760 wow then again in 1908 and then in 1979 two news reporters swore they saw a ufo along with ufos bigfoot Mm. ghostly panthers giant birds ghostly panthers mm-hmm. explain that one to me it's a panther but it's a ghost <laughs> got it <laughs> and fiendish dogs oh. have also been seen also reported grotesque cattle mutilations and Ew. spooky disembodied lights and noises lauren coleman reports uh, reported some of these following stories in his book mysterious america so in 1971 Norton Police Sergeant Thomas Downey was driving along Winter Street in Mansfield towards his home in Easton. As he approached a place known locally as Bird Hill in Easton at the edge of the swamp, he was suddenly confronted by a tremendous winged creature over six feet tall with a wingspan of eight to twelve feet, Coleman says. I mean, can you imagine? No. Just wrap your mind around that. No. In 1976, a huge black quote, killer dog was reported in Abington within the Bridgetown Triangle by uh, firefighter Philip Kane, who said it ripped the throats of two of his ponies and terrorized the community for several weeks. In 1993, this is for you, darling. No. There were reports of a large, light, tan cat the size of a Great Dane. Oh, my gosh. The Mansfield Mystery Cat. 
According to the website Haunted Places in Massachusetts, the Bridgewater State University Auditorium is said to be haunted by a ghost named George. No way. Who is said likes to play with the stage lights and sound. There's George. <laughs> we haven't had a George in a while. We haven't. But it seems like all the Georges we have are not malicious at all. They just are. There's only been one George we didn't want to claim. Oh, oh, uh, that's right in that one house in um, D.C. D.C. Uh-huh. This George is just, he likes to just do mischievous things. Play with the lights. And the I sound, can handle that, Which George. is very, I mean, if you were, if you did stage lights and sounds, that would be a pain in the butt because that takes forever to <laughs> set. So that probably somebody I, who does okay, that would so not be happy. I have a question. I'm just trying to understand this. So how do they come up with a triangle? Like, or outside of these triangle lines, there's no weirdness? Like, well, I mean, I feel like I could draw a triangle in any 200 acres of land and find odd things in those. Or whatever I'm going to give you that. But there's so many different things that have happened in this triangle, just like the Bermuda Triangle. Well, the um, Bermuda Triangle triangle things go missing but there are certain places and i'm going to get into that 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 kind of will explain what made him think of the triangle okay from what i gathered in my research there are two primary locations in the triangle that have the most energy or activity one is the hockamock swamp on the northern section of the triangle that's almost as fun as brucklebank (laughs) During the 17th century, the swamp was used by Native Americans as a sort of defense against the early English settlers. Mm. It was also used as a base of operations for Metacomet, also known as King Philip, to launch his assaults. So he was like the chief of a Native American tribe. Okay. This is where the King Philip's War occurred. Have you ever heard of this war? I don't think so. Now, I too, I'm going to show my ignorance here, I had never heard of the King Philip's War. It's really unfortunate. It was an armed conflict that started in 1675. The main conflict ended with the death of King Philip, though clashes occurred until the Treaty of Casco, which was signed in 1678. Now, why I think it's odd that we're not all familiar with this war is because it is considered to be the bloodiest war per capita in U.S. history. What? Yeah. So it's estimated that it left 1,000 colonists dead and 3,000 natives were killed. Oh, my gosh. So remember, per capita. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, so we've heard of this scalping and torturing that the Native Americans did. But let me tell you, the colonists were not that peaceful pilgrim you see depicted in the paintings. They weren't handing out pumpkin pies? Uh, No. Mm -mm. After King Philip was killed, the settlers beheaded him. His body was drawn and quartered, and his head was placed on a spike and displayed at Plymouth Colony for two decades. Man, I feel like this is another Bloody Mary history lesson. Okay, go (laughs) on. Sorry. No, that's terrible. Just so much history is so terrible. But <laughs> hey, we're we're learning about it. And it's, we are learning. You know, the word Hockamock from Hockamock Swamp is translated as, quote, a place where spirits dwell. Interesting. It served as a hunting ground for the Native Americans as well as a sacred burial ground. 
In modern times, it remains a place of mystery and fear. This is where a lot of the disembodied lights are seen and sounds are heard. But most reports are of feelings of being watched. There are actually three roads that travel through the swamp. Okay. So when you see the triangle that I'm going to post, you'll see those three roads up north Mm -hmm. that kind of crisscross each other up through the swamp. But there's a lot of the area of the swamp that's unexplored land. Oh, wow. Even now. Oh. So. That's weird to think about. I know. It is, isn't it? It's hard to transverse through it because there's so many brambles and and huge trees and like Mm. nobody could. It'd be hard to go through it. Sure. At the other end of the triangle is the Freetown State Forest. And to me, this was the most frightening area. Not only are there stories of paranormal and the unexplained, but there are quite a few true crime stories that took place in the forest, as well as a whole slew of satanic cult activity. Really? There's a very sad story of 15-year-old Mary Lou Aruda, who was abducted in 1978 while riding her bike. Two months later, her beheaded body was found tied to a tree in the state forest. Oh, my gosh. The murderer was James Cater, who was convicted and served his life in prison. The case had nothing to do with satanic worship, but at the time, satanic worship was so prevalent in the area that the defense actually tried to claim (gasps) that that's what it was. Oh, my gosh. Retired Freetown Detective Sergeant Alan Elves said he witnessed evidence of regular satanic cult activity in the forest for 15 to 20 years. And he's actually the um, detective that found the body of the young girl. So what is evidence of demonic? Like, Let me tell what? you. Oh. It began in the late 70s. The police would regularly find sacrificed animals oh, no. totally drained of blood with no blood in the area. In late April of 1996, a dozen, that's 12, a dozen calves were found slaughtered in the forest. (gasps) Sergeant Elves attributed the slaughter to devil worship and rituals. The animals, he surmised, were sacrificed, decapitated, and dismembered in preparation for the week-long holiday known as the Grand Climax, and that's April 26th to May, in the satanic calendar. Can't you guys just eat cake? Strangely, the calves were completely drained of blood, but there was not a drop of blood in the area. Oh my gosh. There is also in the forest the Asinet, I think that's how you say it, the Asinet Ledge, which is just a sheer 30 to 40 foot drop. This is the site of many suicides. Mm. Supposedly some committed by people who never even committed suicide or even thought of committing suicide, but just had the urge to jump. I watched Monster Hunt 2018, The Bridgewater Triangle on YouTube. And one of the hosts reported his own story of Asinet Ledge. He and two buddies went to the ledge. They parked the car. No one seemed to be around. The host walked along the path, and it's just a small path through the woods, basically, that led to the edge of the ledge there. (laughs) The ledge of the ledge (laughs) of the ledge? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. But when he got to the end of the path, he saw a woman standing at the very edge of the ledge. (laughs) But something about her seemed a little bit odd. He walked back to his buddy saying, hey, guys, we're not alone. 
when they walk back. Were they trying to be alone? <laughs> well, there was nobody else. They didn't see anybody else around. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, there's this woman standing there at the ledge. Okay. When they walked back to the ledge, the woman was gone. Oh, no. They would have seen her coming back by way of the path because it was just a small path through the woods. So mm-hmm. they would have seen her had she come back through there. So the guy actually walked to the edge and looked down to see if her body was down there. That's how real she looked. And there was no body there. But could he see everything? Like, is it? Yeah. Oh, there my was gosh. So basically, he saw a ghost. That's eerie. There are also stories like this and other odd sightings. Um, there was also one I didn't write down. There was also one. So the two, there was three hosts to this show and two of them went to the ledge and they were standing and they actually saw these weird lights they could see these weird it almost looked like fire from a flame but they were hovering what and the one guy was like do you see that and the other guy goes yeah i see it looks like fire and then they turned back to back and they were just kind of looking out but they had a space between them okay mm-hmm. they weren't touching their back to back and they're and all of a sudden, the one guy felt a body go through them. Like between them? Between them. And he turned around, and the other guy turned around at the same time. And the guy goes, did you feel that? The other guy goes, uh-huh. <laughs> well, that's bizarre. <laughs> and they both felt like there was a person or something oh, that passed gosh. between them. Yep, that was kind of weird. So there are stories like this and other odd sightings that have been told for years. They are all true. Probably not. <laughs> Some are definitely legends. Legends Others, come from somewhere. I don't know. Of course, the satanic rituals and stuff that the detective talked about, those are all true. The mm-hmm. calves and, you know, that was what all is true. This, what is this woods called again? The Freetown State Forest. Interesting. Okay. And, of course, there are theories about why people see things in the Bridgewater Triangle. One of them, I thought was very interesting. It comes from paranormal researcher Christopher Pittman. He says, glacial soils present in the area may contain some kind of natural magnetic material that could interfere with compasses, GPS systems, and even the human mind. What? Another possibility, he said, is there are a lot of UFO and Bigfoot sightings near high-tension power lines. Uh. Is there something about that that affects people's perceptions i'm Mm. not sure about that theory i mean there's high tension power lines all over wouldn't strange things be seen all over in those places maybe that's something we need to look into yeah that's interesting maybe that's something we need to investigate like are there weird sightings near power lines yeah i remember when we were looking for houses when we were in charlotte we really really liked this house but it was like right underneath like these huge power lines they were like right next to the house Mm -mm. and we were like oh no as much as we love this house no Mm -hmm. but especially if we're going to be seeing bigfoot in our backyard well would that be something to be i mean i i thought it was like wow that's something to look into that's interesting yeah so you think with all this going on, we would have heard about, we would have heard about this triangle, the Bridgewater Triangle. I'm still just curious, like, how he narrowed it down to this triangle. Well, I think, excuse me, I think with the swamp mm-hmm. up to the north. Right. So the tip of the triangle. And then this forest is huge. 
It's mm-hmm. a huge part of the triangle. And then all these ghost sightings that have been seen in this in this triangle. Um, sure. With all the history that's in that side of the country. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, that was really interesting, Mom. Thank you. I thought it was, too. It was very exciting to research that. Well, <laughs> I believe we have Mississippi next. We have Mississippi next week. We do. And that is for a listener. Yes. She has requested, 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 and we are fulfilling your wish. So, <laughs> Mimi, next week, listen up. Yeah, if you guys have states that you guys want to listen to or requests for stories, keep them coming. Yep. We love them. Especially when it's stories that we haven't really heard before. It's so fun to research. And, and even though we've covered every state, mm-hmm. there's so much to every state that there we is. could just keep going. So. Yes. <laughs> So keep them coming. You, you can get in touch with us on our social media. We are, we are on Facebook and Instagram. You can also email us at killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. Or there's even a little section on our website, killerhangoverpodcast.com, there where you, you can fill out requests, messages to us, what have you. Everything's on that website. Yes. Do us a favor. If you guys liked this episode, we would love some more positive reviews. <laughs> Please. On Apple Podcasts. Yep. Just pushes us up the ranks. Yes. Thank you. And for our patrons, because you are special people, you get a special episode. And listeners out there, you too can be special people with <laughs> Listen to our special episodes. <laughs> Five dollars a month. That's it. Yes. Geez, that's that's cheaper, Beth, than some cups of coffee. Well, this is true. So for a whole month of early releases, mm-hmm. special episodes mm-hmm. for special people. For special people. Now Beth has posted about our merch. Yep. We do have shirts. We do have masks, and we have koozies. So killer hangover. It's out there. You can find a link on our website as well as in the description of this episode. But it really does help us out with the cocktails and with our resources. And we really appreciate it. And we really need need new laptops. We still need new laptops. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, goodness. This is so true. Here's a suggestion. (laughs) If you ever want to start a podcast, do it with new laptops. Don't Don't do do it with old ones. Ancient dinosaurs. No. Ones that get super, (laughs) super, super hot. (laughs) Blow hot air at you while you're typing. That would be mine. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate all All of you. you. Join us next Monday for Mississippi. All right. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. Love you, kid.